Welcome. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original Secretaries of Defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And we are so happy to have you join us today. I'm your host, Elaine England. We have an amazing guest today. I am so excited. His name is Treasurer Marlo Oaks. He is the Utah State Treasurer. I don't have time to give him a fair introduction because it would take our entire time, but I will suffice it to say that I met Marlo when I was on the State Central Committee. He, our, our treasurer for the state of Utah, David Damshen, got another job and moved on, and so it left a vacancy in the middle of his term. And so that means the State Central Committee committee of the Republican Party would vet the candidates, everyone running, and we would turn three candidates into the governor, and then the governor would choose from the three that we selected. As I was interviewing and vetting these candidates, and I believe there were eight of them, but there were quite a few. What's that? Ten. Ten. Okay, ten of them. (laughs) And so there were a lot. It was very evident to me and right off the top and everything when I when I interviewed with Marlo, it was very obvious that he was very well qualified and that our our state would be in good hands. I felt really amazingly confident in recommending his name as I did. And I feel that we are as a state extremely blessed to have our governor choose Marlowe out of the three excellent candidates that were there. He did choose Marlowe and Marlowe is our state treasurer. Marlowe has been an absolute blessing, not only to our state, but to our entire nation. He had, he got in and immediately saw some serious problems that were happening. So Marlowe, I, I know you have all these degrees and all this stuff. I don't know those, but I know that you're extremely well qualified and doing an amazing job as our treasurer. So Marlo, I would like to tell us what, when you first got in, what was it like? What what happened? Well, thank you for that amazing introduction. I don't know if, if I deserve it, but I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You definitely <laughs> um, heard that. <laughs> well, one of the things that I heard just almost immediately when I got into office was uh, the West Virginia treasurer talking about banks boycotting fossil fuel industry, which in West Virginia is about half of their GDP. So it's a serious issue um, for for states that are dependent on on fossil fuel production. Um, But it's also serious for our entire country that is dependent on fossil fuel to consume. (laughs) And we're seeing the impact uh, of this uh, of this war essentially against cheap, reliable, sustainable power. Um, and, and this is the, the first sign that I saw. Uh, and, and then as I began to dig into it deeper, 
What I found was um, environmental, social, and governance, ESG, which is coming out of the investment industry. And I spent most of my career in the investment industry. Uh, and when I uh, had first come across ESG, it was, it was much uh, more benign. It was more like socially responsible investing where, uh, and, and these are values-based investment strategies where investors, uh, because of their values, decide that they don't want to participate in certain industries. They don't want to invest in certain industries, and, and, and so they don't. But uh, what makes ESG different is that unlike socially responsible investors who respect the market and respect other people's values and how they implement their portfolios, ESG has one uh, acceptable version um, and everybody needs to adopt it. And there's economic coercion that takes place where those with large pools of assets go into investment managers and threaten them and say, if you want to continue to do business with us, you need to adopt ESG uh, in all of your portfolios. And so that's Which where- Which is more what we would do in China and completely un-American. Totally un-American. Um, it, it, it doesn't respect um, the free market system because if you think about socially responsible investing, it was never um, successful in driving any particular value system through the market, but it was never intended to do that. Uh, ESG, um, they, they looked at, I don't know who exactly decided this, but it became apparent that, uh, that to drive an agenda you have to have capital all make the same commitment. And so we have net zero climate initiative organizations that have gone through the marketplace and signed up lar our largest asset managers, our largest banks um, to drive a political agenda that essentially destroys free market capitalism and very importantly takes issues of a political nature that have always been dealt with in our uh, democratically um, uh, uh, democratic democratic political institutions like our legislative bodies. Mm -hmm. It takes them out of those bodies and puts them into the capital markets, into business, and drives that agenda in that way. Because then you can do things much more quickly that way, um, and it's and it's less messy, uh, and, and people aren't accountable. So. What exactly. I people, I, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's such an important point that everyone needs to be able to connect those dots. Because what you're saying is you're taking it from elected people who are accountable, who are elected by the people and accountable to the people into a bureaucracy or into this, the asset managers and the banks, and, and then you, we've completely taken free enterprise out. And so now our country and our even our politics are being run by this. Yeah, this I don't agenda. know what we want to call it. Yeah, um, no, exactly. That's exactly right. And so, so I tell people ESG undermines our constitutional form of government and free market capitalism. It is the greatest threat to our freedoms, um, I believe, uh, today. In, in the United States. And most people don't see it because it's happening in the financial markets. Exactly. Yes. And so people aren't seeing it. So what is amazing to me is two things. One, that you saw it and you saw it very quickly. 
it didn't take you very long to see it. Then the second thing is that you acted on it. So I just want to ask you, was it terrifying to realize what was happening? And then you could just say, well, everybody else is doing it. Just go along with it. What made you decide I have to do something about this? I need to alert and alarm people. We've got to let people know what's going on. Well, I, I, I was very concerned about the freedoms. Um, and, and I knew that what was being said, which is exactly what you said, that this is, um, this is going to happen. Um, you know, everybody is, everybody's doing it. This is the way the market is going. Um, you just have to, you just have to jump on board and just, you know, go along for the ride. I said, this is, that's absolutely not true. I do not believe that people in the market agree with this, particularly in the United States. Um, and I, and I, I knew that because I have operated in the capital markets and I know people in the capital markets and I know that this group of people in the capital markets are very and that they are under attack um, because of the silencing of alternative voices, the cancel culture that has become so prevalent in this country, um, that is being uh, is a weapon to silence people. And I could see that the private market was not in a position to protect itself because they could lose business and, and, and be harmed very seriously. Uh, and, and so I felt very strongly that states would have to stand up and provide the first um, pushback on this effort and, and provide some safety to the private sector. And I think what we saw a, a month ago in Congress was validation of, of that um, thesis that I had when Jamie Dimon pushed back against Rashida Tlaib in, in Congress. Now, this was the first time that a private actor had stood up to this agenda and said, we're not going to do it because it, it's the road to hell for America. Um, and, and so that, uh, to me, was validation of my strategy that was to get the states to stand up and Utah to, to begin that, that process, which we did back in April when we pushed back against S&P Global that had just uh, published an ESG rating on the state of Utah. Wow. Okay, so what have you done with other states? You, I know that you've met with other state treasurers. What has that been like? Yeah, so a lot of it is um, just, you know, conversations. People will reach out to me and, and um, ask me uh, for my opinion, for my insights. And, um, and uh, so a lot of, it's interesting, a lot of the coordination um, is, is more um, independent action by states because they recognize the threat. You know, once they recognize it, then, and they've had, uh, things happen in their own states, then they're pushing back in sort of their way of pushing back. Um, and so I, I would say there's less coordination, more um, responding and trying to get ahead of this because we recognize that our freedoms are at stake. And so when you recognize that, you don't need to coordinate as much because people are just shocked at what's happening and they, and they naturally begin to act in their own best interests. And that is the beauty of the, the states is that they're, we're our own laboratory and we try different things and we are, we have sovereignty and we have autonomy to That's act right. in the best interest of our state and that you've literally taken an oath to do that. 
for our yes. state as well as our nation. Yes. So, so how is it going so far? How do you feel like you feel like we're making progress? How do you feel like the the future is? Yeah, no, I definitely think we are making progress. Um, it's there's still a ways to go, but the fact that um, the private sector is now some of them are questioning this agenda that was not happening a, a year ago. And, and that is critical to a, a well-functioning American system. We have to be open to alternative viewpoints, to, to different ideas, to a, an ability to say, hey, this isn't right. Uh, that is fundamental to our American system operating. I talk about markets a lot. Uh, markets only operate when there are alternative viewpoints and, and people have different views about the future. If you don't allow that, then you don't have a market. You don't have a market of ideas. You don't have a market of financial instruments because everybody is trying to uh, push the same agenda. And that's when we lose this country. When we begin to shut down people and their ideas, we have lost this country. And that is one of the most fundamental civil rights that we have. And our civil, li civil liberties are at stake. ESG is just one manifestation of that. So well said, Marlo. That's phenomenal. So well said. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so I am so impressed that when you've never really been political and you got into office and you could see really very quickly that our civil liberty, this is much bigger than even investments that our civil liberties were at risk, that our literal nation, not just our state, but our nation is at risk with this. That's how important it is. So yes, we are yes. very blessed that you are in this situation and that you not only recognized and saw what was happening, that you could have that understanding, because I don't think everyone in your position could even understand it. I mean, I really did do think it, it took someone with your background and your abilities to understand it and then be willing to stand up and speak out and do something about it is really so honorable. And we are so grateful. Well, thank, so, you. thank you. What can we as citizens do? I know that you're doing everything in your power as our treasurer to protect our state and our nation, but what can we as citizens do to support but, you or to, to take this on ourselves? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think one of the important things is, is looking at your investment portfolios um, with your investment advisor or uh, the company that has your um, investments uh, with the 401k, your company, for example. Uh, there are organizations that have, investment organizations that have politicized their business and are pushing this agenda. And, and the way that I tell people to, to know, that they can know is if an organization has a separate sustainability or stewardship group that is uh, separate from the investment uh, organization within their within that investment management group. So, for example, BlackRock. BlackRock has a separate stewardship group of 70 analysts. They go around into corporate America and uh, engage with management uh, to drive um, ESG, essentially, um, this agenda through corporate America. And the way they do it is they, they don't divest from companies, they engage with companies, the companies that they have ownership stakes in, and they tell management what they need to do. Um, otherwise, uh, they may 
be voted out as a director uh, at the company. Um, so there's different mechanisms that they can use uh, as the owner of a company to drive an agenda. Uh, so BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, um, three of our largest investment managers that, uh, that collectively have over around $20 trillion in assets. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, basically the size of the GDP of the United States. Uh, they go into uh, corporate America and, and uh, other companies around the world and drive this agenda. So if, our, if your money is with one of those, it, could, it is essentially being weaponized against you to drive this agenda, and you probably don't know it. So that's one thing, uh, is to avoid those companies. The second okay, thing Okay, so Marla, will you give us a list? There's BlackRock. BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. Now, uh, the other thing that, that people can do, and by the way, um, we are seeing some uh, changes, well, not changes, but we are seeing, I think, that um, those entities second guess uh, maybe a little bit what they're doing, but we need to continue to um, apply pressure there because the goal is to, to get them back to neutral, to get them to an apolitical uh, stance, not driving a, 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 a political agenda on the right or the left. I don't care what side it's coming from. We need eight political capital markets, neutral capital markets. So the other thing that people can do is uh, contact companies and let them know that you do not appreciate their uh, politicizing their business. A lot of companies feel pressure to publish ESG information on their websites and, and other places to virtue signal and say, look at how great we are. Um, and, and it's helpful, I think, for those companies to hear from people that says, hey, we don't agree with this agenda. We don't think you should be pushing into the marketplace. Um, please stop doing that. Uh, and we don't want to do business with companies that are, that are doing that. Um, and so people need to have their voices heard in the marketplace because right now, most of the voices that are being heard by corporate America are extreme shareholder activists who are driving this agenda. And corporate America believes that everybody wants this. Um, and so they've got to hear from people who don't. Uh, the, 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 last, the third thing that people can do is uh, conversely, companies have not politicized their business and that the people let them know that as well. They need to feel support from us as consumers and, and, and those of us in the marketplace who uh, appreciate the fact that they aren't politicizing their business and to encourage them to stand up to people who may be pushing them to politicize their business. So those, those are some things that, that we can do. And then of course, encourage our, um, legislators around the country to push back on the regulatory state in this country that is being weaponized against business and against uh, individuals that's trying to take away um, freedoms. Uh, we, have, we are seeing the weaponization of the entire uh, federal government. It's very, very concerning. Boy, you nailed it there. We have really seen the weaponization of our own government a very familiar as a history teacher to the founders when their government was weaponized against the citizens and they took up arms and they took, they took freedoms away from their own citizens. And it is not unlike that. We have lost so many civil liberties. So thank you so much for speaking out on that. So 
Um, That's a really great list of things to do. And I would challenge everyone to contact both your representative and your senator for your state, as well as your federal, all your federal delegation. But contact them and just let them know that this is an important issue because they need to know that we care, that we're paying attention. People that are elected need to hear from their constituents. They need to know what is on people's mind and what people care about. And I love the idea of contacting businesses, and it is a little bit of a pain, but it is really important. As a business owner, I know when people give us feedback, it really helps a lot. We want to know where our clients and customers stand. We want to know what's important to them. That way we can serve them better. So by letting companies know, and I love what you said, Marlo, that companies were not weaponizing their their ideology and their politics against their customers and clients, to let them know that you appreciate it, that helps them to stand up and it helps them to stay strong. And letting companies know, yeah, I'd really like to do business with you because I liked your product, but I won't be doing business as long as you stay engaged in this way. Um, I think that's really also very powerful. That's some really great advice. Yeah, and people shouldn't just stop doing business with a company. They need to let them know why. That is, that's almost uh, more important, right? And so, yes, um, it is. Yeah, and and I, and just uh, you know, on the legislative side, I, I, I people need to understand here in Utah the legislature is very concerned about this. Um, there are so many bill files already open. Um, so I'm working very closely with the legislature. The support is tremendous. Um, so they should feel good uh, here in the state of Utah, certainly, that, that we are working very hard uh, to, to push against this. And I will say also that we have a very important financial services industry here in the state of Utah. Uh, and so we are working um, to protect that as well, because we all see the power of money and we need to keep our financial services industry clean to protect our freedoms um, and work with them because they are under threat. Uh, the, the federal government could very easily decide that the Federal Reserve will become the, the deposit taking institution of the country. Uh, that threatens the entire financial services industry. And so uh, we do have an ally there that wants to protect their business. Um, and, and so it is very complex. It's, it's a complicated situation. We're, we have tremendous support here in the state. I'm very grateful for that support. Um, and so people, I think, just need to understand that we are attacking this, but we're trying to do it appropriately because a legislative process is like a hammer. Um, it, it, it can have a lot of unintended consequences. We want to avoid that. Um, it's a market-based problem. We want to find market-based solutions as much as we can to protect our freedoms going forward. Marlo, thank you so much. I want to let everyone know, if you're from Utah, Marlo is running. He is up for election. So he is running for our state treasurer in Utah. And so I, of course, encourage everyone not to dis not to diss anyone else that's on the but Marlo is by far the best candidate and so it would be well within our wisdom to re-elect Marlo. We're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being with us and we wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I am your host today, Delaine England. We're so happy to have you join us. We have an amazing Super Liberty Mom, Nicole Mason, with us today, and I am so thrilled to have you with us, Nicole. Quick introduction, Nicole is the president of United uh, Utah Parents United. She has five amazing children and a great husband, and she is she's really a great family, and she has really been on the forefront of fighting for education, fighting for our children to have a good education for, would you say, the last three or four years, Nicole? Yeah, I, I spent two years in Nevada. So we lived in Nevada and, and okay. I was there for about two years doing that and then moved here and have been involved the last two years since we've moved here. Okay, great. So we're so happy to have you join us today, Nicole. And the reason that we want to talk about today is we would like to talk about, I, I want to kind of set this up. So you and I both live in Davis School District and we worked together on the See My Smile campaign. That's why I really got to know you the best and so impressed. Very articulate, very intelligent. You uh, really know how to make things happen and you're very well organized, extremely organized. And it was so fun working with you there. And then you have just continued on. And I want listeners to understand in Davis School District, I guess we had more than one issue. I only know about one issue, but the Department of Justice, the DOJ has taken over Davis School District. Explain, what, I mean, just very briefly, what happened there? Why did the DOJ take over Davis School District? Sure. So uh, from my high level perspective, as an outsider looking in, what I see that happened is that there were some racial incidents, that there were issues of racism that were documented. And parents complained about those to the district. So like, hey, this is happening to my child or this happened. And that they weren't addressed and they weren't appropriately handled. And those parents then had to escalate the issue you know, because it, it was not handled. And so they had to then escalate that to the Department of Justice or eventually it got to the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice came in and investigated and said, yes, there are, there are issues of racism here. They were not addressed. They were not handled appropriately. And so because Davis School District, you did not handle these appropriately, we're going to come in. And now, you know, there was a lawsuit and then there had to be a settlement and so as a result, the Department of Justice uh, with that settlement has uh, issued terms that affect all stakeholders in the Davis School District. And uh, there, we have no recourse now as a result of that settlement. Yeah, thank you so much. Excellent explanation, Nicole. And one of the problems is it is a super violation of privacy for the students and their families because now all of our private information is being shared with the DOJ whether we have nothing to do with it or not. I mean, even families have absolutely nothing to do at all with any of the incidences. All of that, our, our private information is now at the access of the DOJ. So it's not a very good situation. 
No. And what's what's interesting about that is through as we've been researching this to find out, okay, what what really is going on here? Because the public wasn't um, privy to what was happening. The the contract with the Department of Justice or the negotiator, the settlement was negotiated with uh, from what I understand, one board member in the absence of board approval. So meaning there was no board vote. There was no board discussion in an open meeting. There was no opportunity for public input to say, hey, yes, we think this is good settlement terms or this, this isn't. So there was no board vote. And as a result, uh, the Davis School District is sending all of the information and everyone in the district uh, and there's no opportunity for parents to opt out of that. And so you just think of medical information, anything that's tied to your student ID information, anything that the school has can be sent to the Department of Justice. And so they have uh, everything on you and your kid and, and there's no opportunity to opt out of that. Yeah, which is a huge violation. So recently, you went to the legislature, they had an intermeeting, which means in Utah, our legislature meets 45 days in January to March. And then once a month, our legislature meets and discusses bills and makes plans and they meet once a month for legislative action. And so you recently went to the education committee and you testified and you did an excellent job. So tell us about that. I thought it was really interesting how so many different organizations and people from different walks um, came together on this. So tell us about your testimony there at that education meeting. Sure, so I was asked to report um, basically on abuses of power by individual school board members. And the interesting part about Utah Parents United is that we are able to network across the state, you know, across 44 different school districts. So we were able to talk to parents and uh, school districts throughout the state and have them report as well on what they experienced. And I don't know if you want me to talk about my specific experience. Yes, that, please. You know, Led up Please to do. it. Yes. So, so what happened was I went to a school board meeting in July of 2021, and there were so many things that were violations of the Open Public Meetings Act. You know, the doors being locked, saying that you had to show ID, refused entry because the meeting was already in progress. You know, being required. Okay, to Nicole, talk about those things because those are really important issues. Going to a going to a school board meeting, that is the right of everyone. I don't even have to have children in public school to be able to go to a public meeting, a school board meeting and talk about how they're spending my money, what is happening in the schools, how it is affecting our society and our community. Those are really important issues. So when you got there, you were asked to have ID shown? Well, there's a sign on the door that says, you know, you must present ID to enter. And the door was locked and you have to ring a doorbell and be entered. Uh, so even there, there's an issue because OPMA, you know, says this is an open public meeting. Anyone can come in. You shouldn't have to like ring a doorbell and say, can I, can I come in? Get permission. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So there, you know, that's kind of a gray area, but there, the bigger issue is there are some major uh, rights violations in terms of policy being applied arbitrarily. Um, first, no one should be required to present ID to attend an open public meeting. Right there, that is a rights violation. Um, second, that it was applied arbitrarily. Some parents had to show ID and some didn't. I didn't have to show ID. 
but another parent did when she came in. So, you know, there, this is something you could bring the ACLU in on as well. And, and they would have a heyday with, with how the, this was conducted or is being conducted that you, the, there were just a lot of things that were not handled correctly and continue to not be handled correctly. Denying me access because the meeting was already in progress. That is a violation of, of OPMA. You can't say, oh, sorry, the meeting already started. So you have to stay in the hall. That's, that's a rights violation. They can't, they, I, in theory, they should not be able to do that according to OPMA, but they did it. Um, and then and why I, the question the question that goes through my mind you know I've been to this tons of school board meetings I've never had that happen but I think why why did they not want you to go in there what was the point of that I don't understand because you just you're not like going in and joining a round table you're no. not disturbing them by entering the room because all the chairs are in a certain area that are apart yeah. from them, you're really a huge distance. So just to walk into the room and go sit down wouldn't disturb the meeting or disturb anyone in the meeting. So well, and if you look at the legislative interim committee meeting, everyone's walking in and out the whole meeting, like legislative exactly the whole all meeting. the time. Uh, so people, uh, it's standard that you can walk yes. in and out of a public. It is meeting. standard. Very well there, said. There is no nothing that says that you cannot join a meeting that's already in progress. So that right there, you know, I, and I asked why, oh, sorry, the meeting's already started. Uh, so anyway, um, then the next thing that happens is I walk in and the chairs are all three feet apart, which is so uncomfortable. Like, cause they're all my friends are sitting three feet apart. I'm like, no, 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 because the COVID protocols had all been ended. So there was no reason for the chairs to be spaced three feet apart. I verified that up and down that there were no COVID protocols. Other board members said, nope, that was not a board decision. I don't know why the chairs were spaced three feet apart. Anyway, so I scoot my chair next to my friends and all my friends, we just scoot our chairs together like any normal meeting room would be. You can sit. Exactly. And like any normal person would do because you come with your friends and you want to sit by them. Right. So, uh, so. Then the next thing I know, a board member walks in and says, you have to move your chairs so they're three feet apart. And I, you know, red flags going off. There's nothing in OPMA that says I have to sit three feet apart from my neighbor. And OPMA, sorry, is the Open Public Meetings Act, which basically is meant to protect the people and say, this is a public meeting here are the rights of the people. So exactly. that, um, so just looking at it in terms of what are, what, what do you have a right to when you go to an open public meeting? And it, all your rights do not need to be enumerated, right? Exactly, exactly. So there's, there's nothing that says that you have to sit three feet from your neighbor, right? Anyway, so we know that wasn't a board decision as verified for, by the board members. And the, anyway, he comes in and says, you have to scoot your chairs three feet apart. And we say, well, why? And he says, it's the rules. Okay. I know the rules pretty well. Can you tell me what rule says that I have to sit three feet from my neighbors? And he said, uh, it's the rules. If you don't wanna follow the rules, then I'm gonna have the gentleman back there escort you out of the room. Well, the gentleman back there was an armed police officer. So under threat of being escorted out of a public meeting because I was sitting too close to my neighbor, we scooted our chairs back in place. 
but I knew that there was something wrong. And I just started taking notes because I was like, no, this is, this is not right. There are so many things about this situation that are not right. So after the meeting, I go out and I talk to the armed police officer and I say, Hey, uh, can you tell me like, what's going on? Like, why was, why were the doors locked? Why was I refused access into the workshop meeting? Why were the chairs spaced three feet apart? Why was I said that I needed to sit three feet apart from my neighbor when all the COVID protocols are gone? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And you could tell he was really uncomfortable. And I said, well, these are violating my rights as an individual. Like what, what, what am I supposed to do? And he said, and this was like the key part that, that I always say that everything rests on. He said, the code is vague. And so they can do whatever they want. Now, not everyone abuses the code, but because the code is vague, there are people who have found that they can execute their personal agenda or get away with things because the code is vague. And I said, well, what recourse do I have? And he said, your only recourse is to file a complaint with the civil court. Now, what parent or citizen is going to go through the process to file a complaint with the civil court? So, uh, you know, fast forward, we were asked to present to the legislature on abuses of power. And that was kind of the what I said was, look, we were told the code is vague. And so because the code is vague, the, the government or school boards are able to infringe on our rights um, and and. Officer Cooper, do whatever they want. <laughs> so that was our appeal was, look, the government is meant to protect the people and the constitution, the, the people's rights. The constitution is meant to protect the people from abuses of power by the government. And this happens to be a vague area where the people are not protected. So we're asking you to follow the pattern of the constitution to put accountability in place so that there's a system of checks and balances on school boards because in the absence of that, they are abusing their positions. Not everyone, but there are some people who are abusing their positions. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell. Because when you've got one person, a state school board chair saying, I'm gonna make the rules, these are my rules, I'm making them, I am also going to not only make the rules, I'm going to enforce the rules, and I'm going to be the judge on whether you've obeyed the rules or not. And mm-hmm. how that is articulated and how it is carried out. Um, that we need to break up that power. That is a very, it's, we're just right for abuse of power. And okay, so Nicole, you have demonstrated how effective when parents get involved and do something, they can actually affect a change and do something. I also think it's important for every person in the United States, wherever you live to realize this could happen in your state. Are you, do you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the fact that it wasn't an ice, it's not an isolated incident. It was in every district across the state, as you saw by testimony from parents across the state. So it's not like it's just happening in Utah (laughs) or one district all across Utah. It's probably everywhere. And if I can just give my heartfelt opinion on the matter. It's the reason that I was able to talk to the legislature is because I was involved and I knew what my rights were. And I understood at least to some extent what the law was and what my rights were within the law. If you don't know what your rights are, 
you don't know when they're being violated. If someone else goes into a public meeting and the guy at the door says, sorry, you can't come in because it's already in progress. Some people might say, oh, okay, that must be how it is. And they might just walk away and say, okay, yeah, I, I can only go in if I'm early or I can't attend the meeting if it's in progress, which, is, which isn't true. And so if you don't know what your rights are, you don't know when they're being taken away. And that's how we get this government creep where we have fewer rights, less privileges, you know, that there's more control. So that's like my goal is to help people get more involved and understand more what their rights are so that they can speak up in a, in the right way, you know, uh, and not, um, you know, I'm not advocating for any, you know, anything extreme, just that you can say, hey, wait a second, I don't think that's right. That's not an OPMA. And then you can articulate that to your legislator and say, my rights are being violated. Can you help me out here? So I, I just think it's so important that you have to know what your rights are, because otherwise you can't speak up for yourself or your children. Excellent. So well said, Nicole. That is so important. If we don't know our rights, we don't know to stand up for them. We don't know they're being violated. If we don't understand the the original intent and the format of this amazing constitution that we have and the principles, we must know, know the principles in them so that we can stand up for them and we can preserve them and protect them. At this point, we need to restore them. But that is so well said and I couldn't agree with you more. And since you brought that up, I thought I will just take a second to let everyone know that there are numerous opportunities to take a constitution class so that you can learn more about your rights in, an, in a really um, organized fashion. So it's just not hit and miss. And if you go to freedomslightevent at gmail.com, if you want to email that email, then we will let you know numerous options. There's five or six different kinds of constitution classes that you can take with different, you know, different aspects or just kind of different emphasis in different ways. And so there's a, a myriad of options and a lot of them can be taken via Zoom. So you can take them from the privacy and the convenience and comfort of your own home. But there are at least five or six that I know of off the top of my head. And so if anybody is interested in taking a class, these are all free and they're fantastic. Freedoms with an S, freedomslightevent at gmail.com. And then we can let you know, we'll email you back and let you know um, with links, all the different options that you have so that, that you can get more involved and, and get more educated so that you can get involved. I think one of the reasons people do hesitate getting involved, Nicole, is they feel like they don't know what to say. They don't know how to get involved and they don't know what to do. But that is the beauty of America and our process. It is designed for citizens to get involved. Yes. Yes. And actually, that's why we started Utah Parents United was because we recognized like a lot of people don't know who their school board rep is. They don't know who their house rep is, who their senator is, their state school board member, and they don't even know how to find out. Well, they don't know when the school board meetings are. They don't know what's being discussed in the school boards. They don't know what curriculums be. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so it can be kind of overwhelming. Like, well, I don't even know how to go to a school board meeting, you know, let alone what to say to, you know, how do you, so we just decided that we needed to help parents 
by developing a parent support group to say, okay, this is who your school board rep is here when your meetings are here, what's being covered here, and then try to do some tutorials like, okay, you need to make sure that you're kind. That's the, the first thing. You need to treat this person like they're your friend who's trying to act in your best interest. Like you cannot call people names. You cannot yell at them. You cannot threaten them. That's like the worst thing that you could do. They and won't so, listen. You don't get anywhere oh. by behaving that way. You are, you, you, you give reason for them to call us terrorists because they're already calling parents terrorists. Yeah. And I've had to learn some things by experience for sure. And I'm trying to pass those lessons on to other people and help other people out. Like, Hey, don't make the same mistake I did. Uh, but I think it's been really awesome that I've been able to build a relationship with my school board rep or my house rep. So I can text them and ask them questions. And sometimes they text me and give me heads up. Like I'll get a text that says, Hey, Nicole, just so you know, this policy is being covered next month. So you may want to let people know about it, or you may be interested in knowing this. And that is so valuable. So that's, that's the whole reason we created Utah Parents United was to try to help establish a government of the people, by the people, for the people, by getting our people involved. Excellent, Nicole. And that is so true because life is all about relationships. And once you have got a relationship with people in these positions and we can work together and sometimes they need to know that we're there and that we care and that we have power as citizens. And what you have done and many other organizations across our state because they've created an organization. They're just like two or three people or one person and they created an organization and they got members involved and those members let these legislators know. And that way the legislators realize they have someone that is holding them accountable. They're, they have someone that's informing them but also holding them accountable. So that is really, really good advice. And of course, we always want to be above the fray. We do live in a time when across the nation, parents that are being involved and that are speaking at school board meetings are being called terrorists. They are actually being arrested. We have a friend who has threatened with arrest, who has threatened with a no trespassing. Five children in Davis district was told he couldn't go on district grounds and accused of no crimes. He didn't, he wasn't, he didn't commit a crime. He didn't do anything wrong. He just made the, the superintendent, or not the superintendent, the chair of the, the local school board. He, he made him uncomfortable and he did something he didn't like. And so he literally threatened him and, and lived for a year uh, under a no trespassing with, with, it had no power to do that. No reason to do that to him. It, it's right. unbelievable. Right. But that goes back to what Officer Cooper said. The code is vague, so they can do whatever they want. And there are some people who do whatever they want because there's no accountability. There's no check or balance uh, for that, for the school board member. Exactly. So, okay, well, you've given us a really great list. You've given us some great ideas. So we encourage everyone to go to your school board meetings, get involved, go attend. If you might not want to speak your first time you go, you might want to just go and observe and watch and see but then you can be prepared for the next time. Go, you don't have very much time, it's very short, but let your voice be heard. It's very important that they hear your voice and they know. And so another thing you can do is get a bunch of friends to go with you. There's power in numbers, go and get your friends. But Nicole, you gave such great advice. We are heard 
and respected and listened to if we are respectful, Mm -hmm. if we listen to them and what they have to say, ask questions, and then give our feedback. But being respectful is essential. Yes. To being effective. Yes. And it also keeps us in being able to continue to work with them. And it gives them no reason to call us terrorists, right? Yes. Which we're not. We're loving parents. <laughs> yes. And we and love this. Just... And our... Okay. So Nicole, what is next for you? Are you going to continue working on this or do you have something else in the works? Oh, goodness. I, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> well, I know, Nicole. So I know that you are teaching your children the principles of the Constitution. That is something that you're working on. And I just think that is awesome. And Nicole, busy, busy, busy mom, she's decided this is most important for her. And so when we're having our scripture study with our children, we can also teach the Constitution because they're one and the same. Yes. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, you are the guardians of your liberty. Thank you so much.